irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. Hello there. Welcome to All Things Therapy. I'm your host, Lisa Tahir. I'm a licensed clinical social worker practicing as an intuitive psychotherapist. Additionally, I'm certified in both Reiki and EMDR. And my website, where you can find me if you would like to book a session or inquire about being a guest on this show or to advertise on this show, is nolatherapy.com, the abbreviation for New Orleans Los Angeles Therapy. And I work with people in person at my offices in both Los Angeles and New Orleans and do phone FaceTime and Skype sessions with clients around the world. So it doesn't matter where you live for us to be able to work together. And today, my guest, I'm happy to be speaking to him. As we've worked together before, he represents many amazing authors. And I am with Richard Kuritz. He is a political science writer a public relations strategist, and a carpenter, formerly, which I'm curious to know since I did not know that piece of his personal life or background, and he owns strategiespr.com, which we will be talking about in a, a little bit. And today our topic is the effort of effecting effective communication and alliteration. Richard is going to bring some personal and professional insight into the art, the craft, and the business of communication and the lack thereof. So welcome, Richard. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. How are you in in San Diego? Well, hey, it stopped raining. um, And, you know, we are in the only part of the world where the weather is actually the news in the rest of right. the world, nobody cares if it rains. But there's been such drought in, in that area that, yeah, it's great that you all have rain. It's so well, needed. We, we love the idea of getting it. We would love it if the infrastructure were there to retain more of it. But we're really happy that we don't have to water our lawns today. So it works yeah, out Yeah, well. definitely. So you do a lot of things you represent authors you where would you like to start about your work and taking this conversation about affecting effective communication well i guess sort of defining what i do um i work with authors and media and messaging and i um my end of it first of all strategies pr is my wife's company i work for her which is another okay. interesting set of relationships yeah but um, uh, she started the company uh, over two decades ago, and I've been here for five years. Um, so this is my, my, my third round of career, perhaps my fourth. She um, did not tell me that when she was a guest on my show. So this is cool to learn from you kind of some of the backstory of her company. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, she started it from, uh, uh, from just working in a bookstore that she took refuge in uh, following an industry. Uh, an injury, and she um, ultimately, because of her love of books, of books and her respect for authors, began helping authors. And from that, they came to her for help, and she started doing PR. And then finally, uh, an author came to her and said, "Look, what's going to take to hire you out of here?" Which wouldn't have taken much because they don't pay a lot in bookstores. <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, and um, and her uh, her business was born, and it's you know, 22 years later. Um, and um, one of the things that we do, the end that I handle, is I take and contact uh, various media outlets, radio and television, mm-hmm. um, to put our authors on there so that they can promote themselves and thereby promote the sale of their books. Um, and the, uh, the trick is, is, number one, being able to sell that to the media. Mm-hmm. And the other is to be able to condense 
the the work that they've done. You know, they you know, um, hundreds of pages, thousands of words, years of work. Yes. Five minutes. Cool. Effectively. Uh, so that's what I do. So you're synthesizing and condensing a lot of information into a short presentation to be able to, um, you know, ex- help them expand their careers and grow their careers. Well, yeah, and and one of the tricks is 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 one of the first things authors have to learn is that first of all, it used to be you can get on the air and say I wrote a book and someone would care, and now mm-hmm. nobody does because everybody wrote one or two. Um, and uh, with the expansion of, of electronic publishing, the trick is is to have the author interesting enough so that he transcends the book and the, the public gets interested in the author and then therefore gets interested in the works of the author. Um, and to make the author interesting, you have to address their expertise, mm-hmm. and, they, and they have to take that expertise and address something that the public's interested in. Uh, so it's all a matter of timing, timing with the news. Um, and, and then there's the specifics that you have to actually teach the author as to how to speak to the media. Because it's okay. very different than speaking to your book, to your pages. So it's some coaching as well of oh, the author. Hours hours of coaching and um and 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 rehoning and re- redoing the message to accommodate changes in in the direction that they're going in and um i think about this because this morning i was taking a uh, a client that we've had for a while um and we've had him on radio and and mm-hmm. that sort of thing and i had him to tv for the first time this morning oh so they're yeah over overcoming the first time and getting the message that he managed to finally get down to 15 or 20 minutes, now down to four. Okay. And make it something interesting. And so there's, there's, a, uh, there's a trick to that. And, and there's, a, uh, there's a, a formula that I labeled. I'm sure I didn't originate it, but there's a formula that I use. And then we fill the content in between the formula. And most people don't think that talking and getting your message across has a formula when we hear these things on the radio it Mm -hmm. all sounds very spontaneous it does and uh, and uh in the words of winston churchill there's no such thing as an impromptu impromptu speech i love that so he was he was quite the author too yeah so can you talk to us some about what the essence of communication is today Okay, it's no different than in the condo than it was in the cave. That has not changed. Ha, I like that. Someone, yeah, someone has to say something, and someone else has to hear it. And they have to be listening. And they have mm-hmm. to understand what they're saying. So it's the same concept, human to human. All we just have is just different gadgetry and more words and ma- several languages. And... Um, and lots of emotion and uh, all sorts of issues and all the things that get in between me saying to you, hey, I want to tell you this, and you saying, okay, I want to hear it, and I want to understand it. I don't necessarily want to agree with it. I'm not necessarily going to do what you suggest, but I'm willing to hear it and understand it. That's the real essence of communication. In case you had noticed, we don't got a lot of that right now. Right. So I'm thinking social media, when I hear you speak gadgetry, can you say more about what you mean? Well, gadgetry, uh, telephones. Uh, You know, we were talking a few minutes earlier about the difference in clarity to a phone that we used to have. Yeah. A landline. And uh, and I, I, I remember the, <laughs> I was talking with my 10-year-old granddaughter and showing her pictures of dial telephones. And she's never held anything except an iPhone. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, and the idea of a uh, of the difference between a landline, the idea of the telephone in the first place, uh, the idea of radio, the idea of the internet, the idea of um, all sorts of gadgetry for communication. Now we have, you know, Twitter and and Facebook and Instagram different ways to communicate, yeah. and we're not communicating. We're just messaging. We're just I, yeah. sending out pieces of words. 
and we're not languaging either, and that's worse. The messages get lost in translation, and my experience personally and professionally, especially through messaging, and um, has caused so many more problems than um, often solution. Well, the problems and the solutions are exactly the same as they were back in that cave. Um, the person who wants to deliver the message has got to get the other person to want to hear the message. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not always easy to do, in case you hadn't noticed that being a therapist. Uh, uh, and, yeah. uh, and, and you know, pre- people have preconceived notions, and they have labels, and they, uh, they, they're afraid of anything that's outside of what they've come to believe. And it's... Um, it's a sad commentary on an open society that we have so many closed individuals. Mm-hmm. And that's, there's the solution right there. It doesn't matter what the medium is. It's, the medium is, is, is not the message, as Marshall McLuhan said. The medium is the conveyance of the message. And the message is highly critical. Mm-hmm. And, and, and people have to lay the groundwork to do that. And, and they don't always do that, in case you hadn't noticed any sort of friction between a, a husband and a wife in the course of yeah. therapy. Of course. Uh, you know, uh, what's, uh, what's one of my favorite movie lines is uh, from Braveheart with Mel Gibson. And they said, where are you going? Well, I'm going to pick a fight. <laughs> it, 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 having grown up in New York and being a smartass, I know yeah. it doesn't take a whole lot of work to pick a fight. Uh, no. It takes a whole lot more work to avoid having a fight. It takes, um, <laughs> and again, having, having been married since 1969, uh, I do know how to pick a fight, and I, and I do, do, do know how to avoid picking a fight. <laughs> Certainly. And, and, you, and you need to understand that if you are going to communicate, you're not going to be doing it while you're fighting. Right. Uh, so you have to find you have to find common ground, and you have to use correct words, and you have to use real words, and words can be very, very dangerous. Uh-oh. You know, as as I hear you saying this, and a few moments ago, my paraphrase, you speaking about communication requiring both someone that has a message and then receptivity on the other end, you know, and and the delivery of that message. Uh, what I have, um, you know, in in being a psychotherapist, I'm sure most listeners have heard, you know, the blank slate, tabula rasa, you know, we're supposed to be this blank slate our clients project upon, which, you know, isn't truly possible in in real life with, you know, any high degree of ability. But I find, especially in text messages and emails, that is the perfect um, screen to project. Like if you want to know what's unresolved in your personal life, get a text from someone, even someone you know and might love. And oftentimes my clients and myself included, we, we have this negative bend to it, you know, and that reveals, you know, places that are not healed within us since text and email lack the conveyance of emotion. It's been interesting for me to see what I project upon certain texts and emails and then what others you know, project upon mine. And often the intended message is not even received because the new conversation is about the projection. Does that make sense? Absolute sense. You know, and if and if you, you look at it this way, the technology has, has created as much of a problem as it's solved. Um, it used to be if I were going to communicate with you in our cave, I would be looking at you or at least hollering down the hall of the cave <laughs> and you would and you would get the inflection in my voice, you would get the look in my eyes. Yeah. You, you would get the, the body language with me telling you that I just dropped a stone on my foot. You would understand the context rather than just the contents of what I was communicating. And I had this conversation with my other 10-year-old grandson the other day about mm-hmm. what context is. Okay. And, and how people spew content and they, and they take it out of context and, and how much we misuse history by taking it out of context. And mm-hmm. it was a good conversation and he got it. And this is so important. But, you know, we have, we have those messages 
And when I get a text message, especially from someone I'm working with, and the idea of a text message is they're supposedly not interrupting you. Well, they're interrupting you. And right. Go, call me. Call mm-hmm. me. Just I have the phone. Call me. You obviously have a phone. Call me. Yes. Let me hear your voice. Um, and in that, you know, we we don't know, and you know this. Oh, let me go back in a personal situation. Yeah. My dad, my dad um, went from blue collar to white collar in the late 50s, early 60s, and he was working in a dry cleaners, and he went into the insurance business. The insurance business is magical in the sense that you have to learn to convey intangibles to people mm-hmm. and get them to pay for it. Um, the psychological teaching, the philosophical teaching, the Dale Carnegie and the Napoleon Hill and all those things still applicable to this day about making people receptive to the message of what's going on so that you can engage in a transaction. Well, we were in a transactional society. Can you tell me of any conversation you've had with someone else that did not involve a transaction? No. I mean, not, nothing off the top of my head. Nothing. There is nothing. Anything from sending the kids to school to having sex, you're having a transactional interaction with somebody. Yeah. Somebody wants something from somebody else. Somebody's getting something for that. There's right. nothing wrong with that. Um, there can, Things can be made wrong in that context. But there's nothing wrong with that. You just have to recognize that that there's a level of exchange um, in uh, in any conversation. That's going you know, on. We're both right. going to get something out of this. Yeah. Uh, and That's why I can go on go and then I'll say. I was going to say I, I think it can be helpful to uh, be aware of what one's in, intention is going in to a conversation, um, you know, so that, that communication can be more clear and effortless. Oh, and we oh, don't always no. know, but oh, as much no, as you no can know. About that. That's critical to know. The, one of the first things you need to do in sorting the information that you're going to get is to understand the incentive of the person at the other side of the conversation. Um, I love the phone calls I keep getting on my line that says, you know, on the do not call line, uh, people say, well, I'm just calling to give you information. No, you're calling to sell me something. Mm-hmm. No, I'm not going to sell you something. No, someone else is going to call me because you called me and try to sell me something. So you're a preliminary sales call. Please don't call me. Sometimes I don't say please, and sometimes I'm not very nice. And one time I said something extremely not nice to someone uh, who I thought was calling for the third time, and unfortunately was my 10-year-old granddaughter. Oh. That was astoundingly traumatic for everybody concerned, and we had to resolve that miscommunication issue. Yeah. But you know, us being humans, we do get emotional. And um, anyway, the incentive, you know, you're watching TV and someone's telling you all about, you know, you got to go to your doctor. And if you're having this symptom, you got to talk to him about this pill because this pill is going to fix your life, even though it may take your life. I especially right. like the medications that are antidepressant that will cause you to be suicidal. Right. How that seems a little antithetic to me, but hey, what do I know? I'm I'm not a psychologist, Mm -hmm. but, you know, you get this and somebody goes, oh, wow, you know, these people were telling me all about this great stuff. Yes, they want to sell you something. The only reason they're on TV is so that you will write a check. And that's not a bad thing. Right. As long as you understand that's that's their idea. Yeah. And And that it doesn't matter if it really helps you or not to them in the short run. What matters in the short run is that you write the check. Now, in the long run, if you have enough people that have problems for having written the check and bought this product, then there will be pressure to bear. And But at the front end of it, the first thing you need to understand is the incentive. And there's always an incentive in any transactional conversation, and every conversation is transactional, as yeah. we talked about before. So, you know, if you want your kid to do something... Um, they need to know that your incentive is their best interest. Right. And as you well know, most kids will never admit to knowing that. You're just an insane, over-the-hill parent. You know, what the hell do you right. know? Right. Yeah. 
I'm I'm 14 years old. I already know everything. And, 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 oh, wait, I'm 21. I just got out of college. Or I'm 22 and I got out with my master's. Why can't I run that company? Yes. <laughs> I work with a lot of parents and their children. And depending on the age, we definitely talk about incentives. So the, the child knows, you know, what by doing certain chores in particular, what is what is the incentive? You know, be it something intrinsic, like you're helping this family. You know, it, it's what love is. It's how we support each other. Or if the incentive is something, you know, more uh, tangible, like you get to go to X event or you earn X amount of money, you know, depending on what it is. So yeah, the incentives come up a lot in, in my yeah. work. And, For sure. And that's, that's giving them incentive to follow the direction. But the underlying reason why they would trust even in the incentive is the fact that they need to first recognize that they're part of a family community. Yeah. Um, and, and like it or not, uh, this mini village is partly your responsibility. Right. Um, uh, the first time we, we ever afforded a housekeeper, my other half reminded the kids that she's not here to clean your room. You clean mm-hmm. your room. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, if you're going to cut the lawn, you're not cutting the lawn because you're being punished. You're cutting the lawn because you have a lawn to play on, and it's. I love that. Family. And we all do right. things. And you know, you would think that, or many parents, not you, pardon that. Yeah. Uh, no, an editorial. Uh, you yes. People people think that kids just know these things. Well, when we pop out of the womb, the slate <laughs> is still not empty. Uh, we've we've received an awful lot of input while we're in the room, but what we have not gotten is what most short life mammals get, and that's um, uh, I lost the word um, instinct. Like, okay, yeah. I was going to say the imprint of yeah, yeah. and and of, of, of past generations. Now we have some right. instinctual things we do, but basically we spend the first twenty years of our lives picking up on all the social social data and, and operational us. things that we're not born with and mm-hmm. somebody's going somebody's going to give your kid that uh either you're going to give it you. to them or they're yeah. going to pick it up on the street or they're going to learn it from tv media or all of the above or media or god knows from where else they're going to learn it you know um I still remember stealing Playboy magazines out of my big brother's room when I was a young teenager. And it was a good thing that that wasn't my only source for learning about sex. I was just thinking Uh, of that topic. I I instruct all the parents I work with, you need to be talking to your kids about sex because if not, they will at, they will find out, you know, oh, they will ask. Yeah, this is, this human is, drive. This is not a secret. So, right. It needs to be coming from you so they don't get all kinds of misinformation or, or such. So as uncomfortable as it is, you know, let's figure a way to, to do this. Well, you know, there are some courses out there and I have to tell you, I thought fifth and sixth grade was a little early for my kids. Uh, and I was wrong. Now, understand Yeah. My kids are now, the youngest is 38, the oldest is 46. So wow. I'm going back a little bit, but which is why I have, you know, 10-year-old grandchildren, et cetera. Um, mm-hmm. And I remember my kids taking this course at private elementary school. And it was, it was a sex ed course, and they had it in fifth and sixth grade. And everything in the course worked around three words. What are, what are those? those were appropriate, responsible, and mutual mm, and, mm-hmm. and the and the answer was you can do anything you want whenever you want wow kids like that yeah as long as it fits this this criteria so long as it's appropriate responsible so and mutual. responsible and mutual so if you want to hold hands if one of you wants to hold hands and the other doesn't it's no longer mutual if you want to do it in your classroom it's not appropriate I like that. Yeah, and, so it really and, you know, teaches respect of, oh, yeah, of oneself and others. It, elim- it, it, it delineates the roadways for appropriate conduct. It Once does. Once they accept appropriate, responsible, and mutual, it doesn't matter what they know or they don't know. If they've accepted that, you know, you sort of have it licked. And, uh, you know, we lucked out. And, and our kids grew up in a... Uh, 
and a very well-to-do school district. And there was plenty of drugs and plenty of kids that were in far better healed families than ours that the parents spent a lot of money on rehab and we spent a lot mm-hmm. of money on tuition and, and, and youth sports. And, um, and, and getting them to that point requires communication. You had it to, does. the only thing, the only thing you had to back up, you had, didn't have to get into the nitty gritty of, of whether or not oral sex was appropriate or, or having sex at 15 as opposed to 16 was appropriate right. and what it was all about. You didn't have to get into that. All you had to reinforce was mutual appropriate and responsible wow great you're thinking about having sex at 16 who's going to pay for the kid right who's going to take that responsibility because you got if you got that locked you know go for it right and depending Uh, on the age is there a legal issue present if the parents find out right you know all these things the whole point is is yeah they they had to address the reality of ARM, you know, appropriate, responsible, mutual. Once mutual. they continue to address that, that's the only point you had to bring up. <laughs> you know, yeah, where's this going to go? Um, and it, it, you can find that you can take that little ARM acronym mm-hmm. and bring it to everything from political disagreement to financial disagreement to. Um, how you uh, how you run your company to how you deal with other things it was really interesting thinking back on that how it affects and applies to so many other things in life but you know and again it's it's all in the wording so uh, and there can, are words that ju- are just plain bad too yeah i have a question for you just on sure. this topic so knowing that people have strong and and different opinions at times can we eliminate conflict about issues at, by using communication Absolutely. But before you can eliminate the conflict, you have to go all the way back to the cave and say, okay, we're going to talk about this. But when I talk, you listen. When you talk, I listen. And once you get that down... Having some ground rules is is what I hear you saying. Yeah, it's it's the same ground rules that are in life, and if you can take it all the way back, said so this is not anything new. This is since man first learned to swing a club or drop a rock on his foot. Somebody yeah. had to talk, and somebody had to pay attention. Um, and failing to pay attention is probably what causes most of the problems we have on this planet. Failing to pay attention as a parent, failing to pay attention as a driver, failing to pay attention as a congressman. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. pay attention. Because what you do has primary effects, secondary effects, tertiary effects, and a lot of unwanted effects. And that's what... That then one has to deal with, yeah. Yes, or that everybody else has to deal with because you didn't. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, And so, yeah, can you resolve conflicts? Sure. Use real words. One of my most hated excuses for a word... Is what? Is the term, I won't even leave it as a word, is the term racism. Okay, tell us about that. It's not a word. It doesn't even exist. Okay. It was invented by a couple of anthropologists in the early 1800s who were traveling around, who came upon cultures that they could not communicate with, that seemed different than their European-based culture and seemed, therefore, inferior and therefore they had to be lesser and therefore they must be of a different race okay we only have one race on this planet the human human race race. right yeah you know i i i had this this discussion on the radio with somebody big black guy he was going on about racism and i said just just as a question how many races are there on the planet and he said what did he say he said one the human race and i said well then you can't have racism. You can have bigotry. You can have bias. You can have ignorance. You can have hatred, which usually comes from ignorance, um, and fear, which are driving forces in human beings. But you can't have racism. And unfortunately, racism is a business. It's not a word. Mm. And, and it's, it's, it's a horrible word because people throw it around and people use it. 
and as language evolves, words or expressions or terms survive, and they shouldn't. And we have so, to be we have to be very careful about these words. Is it wrong to invent words? No, no, not at all. I invent mm-hmm. words. Um, yeah, but I the do words too. <laughs> have to have, yeah, but the words have to have clear meanings. When I give you a word, like when we used the the term racism before, you have plenty of imagery that comes to mind. Yeah, you know everything from the uh, the the dogs biting the people that marched with with Dr. King to to the uh, um, conflicts between. Uh, uh, the conflicts in the Middle East to, to the actions of the of the Germans against the Jews. You know, we have so many so many examples images that come to mind from the word that doesn't legitimize the word. It just legitimizes the fact that words deliver imagery. So, I came up with a, a word or an expression called antipodal zoanthropy. Okay, what's that? Not going to be a regular word in your lexicon. Uh-huh. Antipodal is an old expression f- meaning, you know, you're upside down um, uh, or where you stand on the earth is upside down from where I am. Right. Derived to be meaning your perception of reality is entirely inside out and upside down antipodal. from what reality Got it. is. Yes. Okay. okay. And then you yeah. add zoanthropy. Zoanthropy. Which is which is the imitation of animal activity. Okay. So you have people who have a completely inside-out idea of what reality is, and they act like animals. Mm. Now, that doesn't have a problem bringing imagery to your mind, does it? No, it doesn't. No. Unfortunately. No, no but it doesn't. It's a, but it's a, an extremely accurate word. Uh, probably a less, <laughs> a less violent-inducing term, but equally blood-boiling-inducing term, is mudstream media. Okay. Mainstream media. Yeah. And we all are, I don't care what side of, whatever fence you're standing on. Fence you're on. We are sick of the stream of mud. Yes. Uh, That's been going on. And so, yeah, there's, there's two invented words or expressions that clearly express a meaning that anybody paying attention can understand and that clearly portray imagery. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they're honest terms. Racism is not an honest term because we only have one race. And it pits uh, the people inside that race against each other. Each other. That's a bad, that's a bad thing, in case you mm-hmm. missed the papers lately. Yeah. Um, and, and so, yeah, so words, words are critical. And the, and the words you use with your kids, oh, <laughs> let me tell you, they, they never forget them. I don't care if they're four or labels that we might lab- use around children. Well, labels are important things. Labels are very important things. But when you take a look at them, the most important thing about the label is who wrote it and, uh, and, um, and what's on it. Um, you know, you want that label on that medication. Now, it would be a really nice idea if the person read the label. Right. Uh, they don't. And instead, they call their lawyer after they've taken half a bottle of Tylenol and three shots of vodka and can't understand why their liver shut down. Right. Uh, um, you didn't read the label. And it gets to the point of complete stupidity when you're pretty soon you're going to have to walk into Home Depot and you buy a screwdriver. It's going to have a label on it that says, don't stick this in your eye. Mm. And it's going to be in seven languages. Which well, is sad. Yeah. Which is, because there's some things so that are so obvious. Levels. Yeah, it is. But, you know, it, it, it should also be obvious to people that 1,200 people are dying every day uh, from cigarettes that have a label on them that says this is going to cause cancer, and if you do it enough, it's going to kill you. Right. Um, and uh, they're reading the label, they see the label, and they're lighting up. And, uh, and, and kids are doing it because kids are invincible. They have only a sense of immediacy. So labels are only important if they're accurate and you read them and you understand them. Um, the biggest problem comes with labels is when they're not necessarily accurate and you're dealing with the person who applies the label. Um, what do you mean by that exactly? Okay. 
the guy that sticks the label on the bottle in the factory, there's nothing okay. wrong with that guy, but he sticks the label on the, fact, on the bottle. He didn't do the research to write the label. Okay. And he has no responsibility if I read what's on that label and I, I, I have something go wrong because of that. The, this, in the modern terms, it's called journalists. Um, you know, they'll label somebody. This guy's a liberal. This guy's a conservative. This guy's a racist. This guy's a homophobic. This guy's xenophobic. This guy's, you know, yeah, whatever. They stick a label on it. Okay. Uh, nine, 99% of the people that use the word xenophobic either can't spell it or don't know what it means. Mm-hmm. And 120% of the people that they probably stick it on, it doesn't fit. There's a label sticker. They don't know anything. They just have a podium. And that's a problem because people are listening to it. And they're getting an incorrect message. Okay. Be, yeah. You know. Um, yeah, xenophobic. Dislike yeah. or prejudice against people from other countries. Well, yeah. Or just afraid of, 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 of that. Or, Different. or homophobic. I'm afraid of homosexual people. Uh, right. There's a lot of people who are biased and, pre and prejudiced and bigoted and ignorant about homosexuals. But they're right. not necessarily oh, homophobic. Yeah. They're not necessarily afraid of them. They're just biased and ignorant. Use the right word. Someone different. Someone different from you can, yeah, evoke fear and then hate yeah. can come uh, from that and all sorts uh, of uh, things. Of course, which is, which is why. And, and here's an example of being able to affect change in an area of disagreement. You take the issue of, of, of homosexual marriage. Okay. Uh, the whole concept of marriage, first of all, taking steps back and follow the trail of money because that's always where the truth is in an economic society. And again, we're in a transactional society. We're in a transactional world. Um, governments make money when people get married. Right. Marriage licenses. Yeah. Why you need a license to marry um, and, and, and not a license to raise kids, I'll never know. Exactly, but, I've wondered that but, often but, myself. But I understand the reason for licensing, and that's because you have an evidence of financial responsibility because marriage typically produces children, produces property rights and interests, it produces a whole lot Tax of things that relate to law. that are financial, yeah. Right, right. So you need to have some sort of registration. So I'm totally in favor of marital registration hey uh billy and Jeannie got married um okay write it down they got married here they got married in the state of new york or they got married wherever they got married on thus and such a date and they established whatever collection of legal rights and responsibilities goes with that mm -hmm. but it's registered that they did that fine i'm in favor of that registration but for me to have to register or, or not be able to register the fact that Bob and Bill got married. They've established the same collection of responsibilities. Yeah. Just register it. And it's not an issue. The whole concept of the, re, of the legal relationship is a factor for the government. The yes. whole concept of the permission to establish that relationship is none of the government's damn business. Right. It's between the individuals. It out of the way of it being a governmental issue. If you get to the point of agreement that people agree on the idea that there's an establishment of property and legal interests, which everyone is going to agree to, they have to, we're in a transactional society. And you get to the point that the government needs to stop making money and delaying people from establishing this relationship. They just have to establish that they're of age. Uh, and I mean, they no longer have blood tests for getting married anymore. Uh, so many things have changed. Right. And all you have is a registration. And you no longer have an issue to fight over of whether or not it's legal for a man and a man or a man and a woman or two women or, or somebody who's on the way between one and the other to establish right. that relationship. A it's loving relationship. It's no longer an arguable issue. It's a registration. Mm-hmm. And, and look at that. We've just taken a fight away. Yeah. There's nothing to fight over. It's not legal or illegal. It's none of your business, which is clearly covered. 
in freedom of association in the First Amendment. Mm -hmm. It doesn't need an extra amendment. We don't need an equal rights amendment. We don't need a gay rights amendment. We don't need this and that. We just need to get the government the heck out of that piece of the business. And all of a sudden, life will continue. So, you know, before we came on the air, you mentioned to me an R word that nobody likes. And I'm curious about that and don't want to lose sight of it before we're done. So wherever that fits in, I would love to know more about it. Ah, okay. Okay. What am I responsible? What part, you deal with this all the time when you have people that have disagreements between themselves as, as clients or the person who's having uh, a problem getting along at work or they're not dealing well with their kid, whatever it is. What part of this problem is your responsibility? And that's empowering. That's where solution comes from. When when you can look and see what your responsibility is, I find that to be liberating. Well, look at these people. Look at these people who get insulted all the time. Um, I, I like, you know, we opened with a quote, um, and we talked about labels. Um, you know, remember the, the, the movie uh, uh, Fish Called Wanda? Kevin yeah. said, don't, don't call me stupid. Um, it, it's, it's completely dysfunctional to name call someone um, and to put that, a label on anyone. We talked about that before. Because if they genuinely are stupid, you're not going to accomplish anything by telling by, them that they are. Yeah. And, and, and all you're going to do is enrage them at their own inabilities, and they're going to become insulted, and they're going to feel inferior. Which and it's unnecessary which turns around to the other side of that. More important than unnecessary, it's dysfunctional. It's not going to get you anything. Right. It's going to get you a momentary emotion explosion, and you're going to create an enemy. Mm-hmm. Um, like what happened with the, the wedding cake issue with the, with the gay couple that they didn't, the company didn't want to make them a wedding cake, blah, 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 and they were putting those people out of business. Well, mm-hmm. great, you made a point, and you made an enemy. This guy is going to lay in the weeds for the rest of his natural life coming after anybody who's gay because you screwed up his business. All you had to do was go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. All you had to do to solve the big problem of your wedding cake is go to somebody who wanted to give you something for this very important day. Was it right or wrong for either party? I'm not judging that. I'm talking about the function here. So we get into this this line by Eleanor Roosevelt. Nobody can make you inferior. Feel inferior Mm -hmm. without your consent. Exactly. Yeah. Your interpretation. Yeah. uh, No, your consent. You know, if you're going to look down at me, you're going to call me stupid. I'm going to look at you and say, well, you know, maybe I do not have your intellectual prowess. Isn't that nice? But I haven't had to name call against you. And I was born stupid. I can't control that. You're acting stupid. You can control that. Which one of us is better off? This is the kind of ways that we have to talk to our children. This is the way we need to language. Because language controls everything. I think a lot of what you just said, it takes a lot of um, ability to remove one's ego. To, you know, to take responsibility, for example, and and choose not to say the biting, you know, critical thing to someone to rise above our, our ego impulses that have those thoughts and feelings and desires. Oh, yeah. You know, go scream at your kids and say, why aren't you listening to me? Well, you already know why they're not listening to you. They're six years old. Yeah. And, 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 and your screaming at them is just going to go, oh, dad's screaming. Well, what we tune do out. to either be out of screaming range or even better, let's make them scream more because then mom will jump in on it. <laughs> yeah. And they'll leave us alone because they'll be fighting. You know? Right. <laughs> you know? And you you think this is... And it's adaptive. That's adaptive. But this right. is exactly what happens between countries. It this is. This is exactly what happens between companies. This is exactly why the courts are... Th- filled with people who can't resolve our own problems. Um, yes, there are some problems that you have to go to court for. But, you know, most of them can be, can be resolved. They could uh, be. And I think yeah. at some point before things escalated and one party 
may have, you know, may take it to an extreme. So yeah, early intervention can help too, I think, with the effective communication. Well, and, and again, recognizing what's important and what's not. You know, I yeah. got a neighbor that doesn't take care of his house, and it irritates me because I take care of my house. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I can either be irritated or I can just, you know, put up some lattice work. <laughs> Why, see, see it. He, just, he just doesn't take care of his house. Does he infuriate yeah. me? Sure. Uh, what am I going to do about it? Yeah, I'm going I'm to sue him because he, he grows four-foot weeds. No, I'm going to put up lattice and put up a fence and have a good time so in my yard. And, and yes. Get on with life. I mean, I got more mm-hmm. important things to do. Picking and choosing your battles. Yeah, and that's, you know, I would love it if we had the luxury in this world to spend all the time it takes to fight with a neighbor who doesn't take care of his house. <laughs> that would, wouldn't, that be, wouldn't that be a luxury? Hopefully, cancer was cured. There weren't any more gangs. You know, the city, the city is not being insane with their expenditures and, and raising taxes. That would mean all these problems have gone away and I can just fight with my neighbor over his, over his weeds. <laughs> no, I don't right. think so. No, fortunately, we have much more important and better places to put our energies. Which, and I think I picked up on that from a book I read so many years ago called You Can Negotiate Anything. And the first thing you have to do is have common ground. And everybody has some level of common ground. Are you ultimately going to be able to communicate with everyone or come to some resolution with everyone? Hell no. But if you start from the factor that, hey, we both have to breathe the same air, you know, they're not going right. to argue with that unless they are sociopathic or psychotic or or, or have something else going on that you can't fix. And there are people, as you well know, that can't be fixed. Right. Uh, it, yes. It's not a matter of them acting as antipodal zoanthropists. It's a matter of that they can't be anything else. Right. And separating those, separating those is the art. Yes. It's, it's, is, is the art of, of, of governance and, 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 and public safety. Uh, it, it is. It is not easy. You know, um, one of the worst situations, I've got two brothers-in-law that were both in law enforcement, and I've got several friends who were in law enforcement, and they said the last, the last call they ever want to go to is a domestic violence call. Yeah. Domestic, domestic disturbance call. Because they're going to work in there, walk into a situation, where two people are at each other's throats. And yet, you know, last week, last month, 10 minutes ago, for the last 20 years, they were loving each other and, and, and having sex and, 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 and raising a family. But right yes. now they're at each other's throats. That's going to change on a dime. And when you're trying to handle that situation, you're going to walk in there and you're going to have not one problem, but 50. Right. Everybody I've it's ever so talked to in the they'd rather walk into a bank robbery with somebody with three machine guns than a domestic Well, there's a clear robbery. intention. It's a yes, cl- cleaner transaction. It's a clear transaction to be made. Uh, uh, and, um, and, you know, that's the whole thing. Let's, let's clear out the transaction. Let's figure out what exactly it is that each party wants and see how close we can get to that. So um, may I jump in in a moment? Will you oh, finish please. your sentence that I have? Okay, well, because we're almost at the end of our time, and I do like to ask each guest, as I asked your wife when she was on the show, and I'm excited to have your son on my show in the future, what it is, what is it for you, Richard, that's important for you to leave in your work, in your life, as a, as a legacy, or however you conceptualize, you know, where you've spent so much of your time and energy? Um, that'll touch on that little piece about carpentry that you didn't know about. Yeah. I spent, I, I, when I moved away from the finance industry, I spent 10 years doing that, and, and I've always loved carpentry from as a kid. And we must always have our therapy. Carpentry is my therapy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, people need to recognize that they need something like that, and they need to recognize how to communicate. Now, one of the things that I'm doing now as an offshoot of our business is teaching people how to communicate taking those three pieces in the formula, declaration, information, inclusion, and teaching it to even kids as to how to get a point across. Well, I can't talk to my daddy. Sure you can. Here's how. 
Okay. So helping people communicate effectively is a by passion. Learning, by, by learning learning the, the, the art and craft of that communication. And, and we're, we're teaching that now. I mean, we teach it to our author clients that are presenting, but we're, we're now, I'm, go, I'm going out now and we're just teaching the idea of communicating, uh, doing it with, with veterans that are coming home we're, we're setting that up so that they can better apply for jobs and Very better address great. what's going on in their heads when they come home. Uh, we're, we're doing it. We're looking to do it for, for kids. We're looking to do it for people who are trying to pitch their businesses like they do on Shark Tank. It's, it's, yeah. all, about, it's all about learning to communicate. And no matter what, if they do nothing else with the information, they'll be better at communicating. Richard, I want to thank... And then a bad thing. <laughs> no. You know, I've appreciated working with you this last, I don't know, half a year. And it's just such a pleasure to have you on today so I can learn more about you and our listeners can hear more of your story. So if anyone interest, interested, this is Richard Kuritz of strategiespr.com, S-T-R-A-T-E-G-I-E-S-P-R.com. And this show is found on YouTube, Google Play, and iTunes uh, to listen in. Richard, thank you so much for joining us today. You're so welcome. And if anyone wants to reach me directly and immediately, it's richkurtz at Gmail. Richkurtz at Gmail. Right. You got it. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Pleasure. You are very welcome. Mine too. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. That concludes today's show. Join me next week for another episode as I bring you a guest with a new topic of interest. Thank you and have a great week. You're listening to All Things Therapy with Lisa Tahir only.